You're listening to a podcast from JNIS. Well, today we have uh, Kyle Fargan, who is in the Department of Neurosurgery at University of Florida. Kyle um, had published an Editor's Choice article in the uh, November issue of JNIS, Simulator-Based Angiography Education and Neurosurgery, Results of a Pilot Education Program. Uh, Kyle, thanks for agreeing to talk to me this morning. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit, sort of a brief overview of your project? Sure. Well, uh, first, thanks for the invitation. The project is essentially a pilot study where we wanted to see if we could initiate a, a curriculum using a, a simulator uh, in, in training naive neurosurgery residents uh, in basic sort of fundamental skills of angiography. Mm-hmm. And what we did is we um, got together a group of trained neurosurgeons, trained in both endovascular skills and uh, open surgical skills, who have fellowships uh, where they train physicians in, in endovascular skills. And uh, we collected these individuals and um, designed a course for a neurosurgery residents uh, that basically revolved around using a simulator to train fundamental skills of using a catheter, using wire, complication avoidance, and then also sort of basic, you know, anatomical information uh, mm-hmm. to see if we could take this this group of of naive neurosurgical residents, and I mean naive by never having performed angiography before and, and never really even seen it. Okay. And see how they perform on a simulated diagnostic angiogram and see if we can improve their skills. And we found that uh, although, you know, it was a 24-hour course uh, and there were only seven residents that participated, we, we found that um, the residents improved, their skills improved on these simulator cases, the amount of time it took for them to do the procedure, the amount of contrast they used to do the procedure, of course, all simulated, but uh, those mm-hmm. were decreased. And also, they they really enjoyed the course, and they thought it was highly educational. So it was a, it was a good result. Where did you come up with this idea? Or, I mean, have you worked with simulators before? This project was initially the idea of uh, Dr. Mako, Okay. Uh, who has experience with simulators, and we, we have it. Back when he was at the University of Florida, we were trying to sort of develop a curriculum for our residents here using uh-huh. simulators as uh, as part of our neuroradiology rotation, which is a required rotation for, um, for neurosurgeons, mm-hmm. and it sort of came out of that. Okay. I recently read a biography on... Uh, Neil Neil Armstrong, you know the first guy on the moon, and um, interesting to me is that uh, because I've I've sort of seen a little bit the evolution of simulators for uh, neuro intervention, and and just in reading the biography, it, it struck me how far we've come, but also how far we have yet to go regarding um, simulator technology for neuro interventional training c- uh, compared to you know, how it's been used in other fields like uh, pilot training or astronaut training or other fields in medicine. Where where do you think we are with that, and how do you think things might improve in the future? Sure. 
I think that simulators have improved considerably over the years, and they're at a point now where we're really starting to realize how useful they can be uh, as far as surgical or endovascular skills. There's been a number of improvements, and this augmented reality simulation where it's not really virtual reality, it's not all just on computers, but we're actually using real surgical devices, these uh, mm -hmm. tools that are hooked up to the simulator. In this project, we use a simulator that uses um, catheters and wires mm -hmm. that are hooked up to a tracking system. So you actually have this haptic feedback of what, what you know, using a real catheter and a real wire while what you're doing is shown on, the, on a computer screen. And um, in many surgical fields, you know, we have the computer technology to start linking these devices to a virtual reality um, where it's actually starting to become relatively realistic. Mm -hmm. If we look at recent studies, um, we do know that people who are trained in a skill, such as trained endovascular um, uh, physicians or, or trained general surgeons, they do better on simulator exercises than than residents do, than untrained physicians. And so the simulators are able to capture skills and identify, you know, or, or at least skills translate to the simulator. The real question that, that we have now is whether skills that you learn on a simulator can actually transfer to real clinical skills. Mm -hmm. And I think there, there have been some people looking into this. It's sort of a hard thing to do. But there is at least one study that I'm aware of where um, it actually showed that people who had trained on a simulator did better with clinical skills than those who had not. Okay. And also, there's data suggesting that even some skilled uh, neurointerventional practitioners can continue to benefit from simulation courses even after they've, they've been fully trained and they're okay. in independent clinical practice. Well, that makes sense. Um, in the simulator that you used, uh, you mentioned that the haptics have improved. Do you think that there's still room for improvement, or do you think that it's gotten about as good as it can get? Well, I think they have certainly improved. I think we have a long way to go. Mm -hmm. uh, anybody who, who sits down on the simulator realizes that, that uh, although you are using a catheter and a wire, the, the interaction between the two isn't quite right using the contrast eye, double flushing versus, you know, using a continuous flush system, all of, all of these things are absent. Yeah, uh, using yeah. the x-ray machine is it, very simple on the simulator, and it, it really fails to capture any sort of complexity that, you know, we see in clinical practice with different patients, the blood pressure and the pulsations from the heart and things like that breathing and all of these different things that make angiography difficult at times are really, uh, we have no means of capturing that yet. Mm -hmm. You mentioned um, uh, uh, already trained physicians working on simulators. Uh, I think it would be nice to get to a stage where you could almost practice a case, sort of plug in pre-procedural uh, imaging let's say, you know, a complex aneurysm that's going to need stent reconstruction and, and that sort of thing. At least for me, that would be great to be able to do that. I think that's a fantastic idea. And I, and I think when it gets to that point where we can accurately 
simulate all of these individual complexities, it would be great to be able to upload 3D vascular anatomy into a computer and actually be able to simulate exactly what you're going to do, try to figure out how you want to attack a problem before the patient's even on the table. I think we're a ways away from that, actually. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, in reading, again, reading this book about Neil Armstrong, one of the big things was having the simulator mimic problems or catastrophes. You know, I think for for training, that would be fantastic. You know, when you're putting coils in the aneurysm, not have all the coils just fit perfectly, have, you know, some prolapse or a coil puncture the dome of the aneurysm or, or, or whatever. That would be extremely useful. I, I think it's the same um, the same idea, though. We're, we're a ways away from being able to accurately simulate the smooth procedures where everything goes just fine. Once we, I think, get a good grip on that, then we can look towards, you know, all these other scenarios. There's sort of a neurosurgery mandate. I don't know if it's in effect yet or, or, or if it's just coming down the road about uh, having all residents uh, have training in neuroangiography and you know realistically that might be problematic just as far as the number of cases that are done around the country and the number of programs that have uh, that the residents have access to that so if, if you envision simulators augmenting that how often do you think the residents would need to train on simulators well i think that's a hard question to answer you know, the, the ACGME is pushing, at least in neurosurgery, towards these proficiency-based assessments. And, and one way to do that is through, is through simulation. And the exposure to angiography in neurosurgery is it's probably less than you would expect. We know from some case logs reported by the ACGME that, that the median number of angiograms that residents are doing is actually zero. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a fair number of people who are interested in neurointerventional procedures who are doing lots of them. But there's only so many um, fellowships available to neurosurgeons. And so it looks like, um, for the most part, there's a large number of neurosurgery residents who are getting no exposure to angiograms or mm-hmm. very, very little. And so um, simulators and trying to work that into training, I think, is that's sort of a work in progress. It's up in the air. Um, but I would sort of envision simulators having a role either in one of two ways. If uh, a program has no faculty that, that do um, cerebrovascular or endovascular um, procedures, and they really have no exposure to angiograms and things like that, mm-hmm. uh, as part of having a complete set of neurosurgical skills, and, and, you know, the angiographic, uh, angiograms and um, neurovascular anatomy is extremely important for neurosurgeons, and so they should know these things. Right. And so if they have no no access to that, to that sort of education or those procedures, um, there should be some means of having courses that are available. Those would be, you know, as I would envision it, courses not unlike ours, where you have a number of trained physicians, um, leading residents and fellows or you know, through uh, sort of a didactic curriculum uh, mm-hmm. using simulators and where so they can actually sort of see what it's like and what it's all about and learn important skill sets. For, for those people who have access to, 
to cerebrovascular neurosurgery and endovascular neurosurgery. The simulator may play a different role, and, that, and that's more of something where, uh, as a junior resident, uh, they would do a, a simulator course where they have to perform a number of procedures, and, and they can be evaluated by, by phys physicians or by these uh, simulator, uh, objective simulator recorded assessment. And, and then can practice before they actually get into the, the endovascular suites. And so um, I don't think we're at a point yet where, where simulators or the curriculum that we've designed or things like that are ready for widespread use, but I think we're moving in the direction. And, and neurosurgery, organized neurosurgery, is actually starting to push simulation and we're we're seeing a lot more interest in simulators not just for endovascular but for lumbar punctures and for ventriculostomies and mm -hmm. all of these things. And so I, I would imagine over the next five to ten years as the simulator technology improves, as um our understanding of the benefits of simulators uh, expands, that we'll actually start to see simulators being worked into residency. Now whether that will become a requirement is hard to predict and, and also how that would actually be integrated into residency is, is a difficult question. But I, I certainly do think that simulators will become more important and um, they will uh, be used much more frequently uh, for for a wide variety of skill sets. Well, that, that certainly makes sense. Um, Kyle, I, I really appreciate you talking with me this morning. Uh, this was a fantastic pilot study and brings up uh, some interesting issues and questions. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today, and um, I'm happy that uh, you appreciate our work. For more information about this program and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.